Amen. Thanks for being here this morning. If you have a, um, a Bible or a look up, would you turn to Matthew chapter 6? Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read just verses 19 through 24. Again, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Um, and while you're looking for that, uh, just um, it is a praise. I think we were supposed to have a baptism today, um, but the, the heater in the baptistry wasn't quite working, so we didn't want to do a polar plunge. So the next week or two, we will uh, have the baptism. Um, and also just keep, uh, we, people have asked about meals for the Shaws, and we are going to um, send something out, and they did say probably maybe this week would be a good idea to get some help, but just keep them in prayer. Um, the whole Shaw family, on Thursday, uh, Max was driving to his training, flipped his truck and rolled it three times, and he is fine, but they just have had a lot going on as you continue to think about them. But Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 19 through 24, says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves Treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Heavenly Father, Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, thanks for the help of it and the hope of it and the encouragement of it. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would just teach us, Holy Spirit, through your word. That you would encourage us and challenge us through it. And that we would just obey and follow you. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, it's, it's amazing what we will trust our lives to. Remember a few years ago when they had Garmin's? Um, you know, the Garmin's, and they didn't have your phone yet, and so to get anywhere, they would have the little Garmin. You could set the direction of where you wanted to go. And by setting the direction, you could uh, get someplace, except if you're in a city. Um, and we were in the city in Minneapolis one time trying to drive around. We had people following us behind. We were trying to get to where we were going. And we had no idea where we were going, so we were trusting our entire lives uh, to the Garmin. Um, it's crazy what we will trust our entire selves to. And as I'm trying to figure out how to get where we're going, we're punching it in. Um, and just I also remember as the thing kept saying, recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. We weren't getting um, anywhere. And the reality is, for us followers of Christ, we need in our lives, and we've been looking through Romans chapter 12 the last few weeks about giving all of our lives to God, and we often need to re recalculating in our lives. And one of the major areas that Jesus said that those who love God need help to recalculate is in the area of money. Many times we think of spiritual people or you have this idea of a spiritual person. If the one, somebody, if they really love God, if they really love God, then they're going to have a lot of Bible knowledge. Or they, if they really love God, they're going to have a lot of prayer times and powerful prayer times, or they're going to really be serving in the church if they really 
love God. And all of those things are good and true. But according to Jesus and according to Scripture, how we use our money demonstrates the reality of our love for God. 1 John 3.17 says, But if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And the verses right before that, verse 16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Jesus said that the way you really know if you love God is how you use your money, because you can fake, you can get a lot of Bible knowledge and not have a love for God. You can spend time praying, and you can even convince people that you have this great prayer life and not really love God. And you can serve in a church, and you can do a lot of great service activities and not really love God. But one of the ways that we really demonstrate our love for God is how we use money. And for most of us, we're not going to be called to lay down our lives. We're not going to be killed for our faith. That's not going to be for the majority of us, as it says in verse 16. But for the majority of us, our use of money for the majority of us will be the biggest demonstration of our love for God, because this is how we demonstrate our love for God. If, uh, if you look in John chapter, in Luke chapter 3, this is highly illustrated in Luke chapter 3, when John the Baptist is speaking and preaching, and he's coming to the wilderness, and he's preaching this repentance, and Randy Alcorn highlights this wonderfully, when, when, when G, John the Baptist preaches... And he's preaching his repentance. And people hear it. And they come to hear him preach in the wilderness. And it says, and, and the crowds came out in verse 10 of Luke chapter 3. And they said to John the Baptist, what then shall we do? And three different groups of people come up to John. And he answered them. To one, he says, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. And then he says to this other group of tax collectors that came, he says to the tax collectors, also come who came to be baptized, he, says, he said to them, to teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. And a third group came up to them, soldiers came up to him and asked him, and what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations and be content with your wages. All three of these groups heard John the Baptist preach the kingdom of God was coming. They heard to preach repentance. They come up to him and say, we want to repent. What shall we do? Not one of them asked a financial question, but every response that John the Baptist gave had to do with money. Share your clothes and food with those in need. You tax collectors who are known for cheating people, stop taking extra money. Stop being so greedy. And for the soldiers who wanted some extra cash and would extort people and were clearly not satisfied with how much they would got paid, he said to be content with how much you make. All responses to a question of what true repentance and true love of God 
looks like. It's the same with the story of Zacchaeus. When Zacchaeus repented, his first thing he did, he said, yeah, I'm going to go back and I'm going to return all the money that I had taken and cheated from people. In Acts chapter 2, when the early church, the Christians got together and they sold what they had so they could serve each other's. All of these are signs and how we can see our real and true love of God. It's through how we use our money, the Bible says. And there's three reasons why I think it's for us important to consider. We, we don't talk a lot about money here. If you've been here a long time, you're probably thinking Paul's never talked about money. I have. I, we just don't do it that often. And it's not on my, it's not good. The Bible talks about money all the time. Jesus spoke about money 15% about everything he said. Jesus spoke about money more than he spoke about heaven and more than he spoke about hell. Here's three reasons why I think it's good for us to be considering it. One is because Jesus spoke about it often, and he said some very hard things about it that we need to consider. He said, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasures in heaven, and come follow me in Mark chapter 10. And Luke 6, he said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. In Luke 18, he says, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And in Luke 12, he says, A person's life does not consist in the possessions that he has. So one of the reasons... It's good for us to consider what the Bible has to say, what God has to say about our use of money. It's because Jesus thought it was extremely important. He mentioned it often. Another reason why is because joyful people are generous people. Proverbs 14, 21 says, Blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Proverbs 22, 9 says, Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. In Acts 20, 35, it says, And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. We know this in reality. We know that it is more joyful. We see it in Scripture, but we even just know it by experience. It's always more joyful to be generous. I mean, no, no, I, it's a great joy when people call me up and say, hey, I just had this great blessing. I was able to do this, and I was able to help this person out. We don't get phone calls from someone saying, hey, you know, I just splurged so much on myself. Then I stopped at McDonald's and splurged some more. It was just great. I couldn't wait to spend more on myself. Nobody calls me and says, hey, I just want to praise the Lord that I just splurged all day on me. We don't do that. But we do know in our own experience of when we're, we're sharing and we're giving, we, we, we experience that. We feel and express the joy. And it's a joyful thing to be able to do that and to serve and to be generous in that way. Just a couple, about a week ago, I came into church um, in the afternoon uh, after going out for some, getting something for lunch. And someone had slipped this piece of paper inside the door jam. And it was just this little note with the $10 in it. And it said, put this toward the heat bill. I hope you know the warmth of fellowship in Christ. And the way that was written, that's exactly what I said. The way that was written, this was a sacrifice for somebody. They just stopped by, they thought of our church, and they said, you know what? I want to be generous. I want to share to them. We, we, we know joyful people are generous 
people. Jesus spoke a lot, a lot about money. Joyful people use their money in generous ways. And the third reason we need to think about it is joining our God-given resources together has always been the plan of God for the local church to function and to further the kingdom of God. In Acts chapter 2, the early church, they, they, would, they, would, they, they gathered their resources together so that they could serve together. In 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, which we'll look at next week, it's, it's very clearly how the, the church is gathered and they supported each other's and those serving in it. Galatians chapter 6 talks about this. We know this scripturally. This is what the church has done. It's, it's, they've joined resources. This is how churches operate. This is how churches function. This is how the, the, the furtherance of God's kingdom happens. We know it from Scripture, but we also know it from stories of life change. There are people in this room whose lives have been changed because this church has gathered its resources for years so that every month or every twice a month for years, a food pantry would come and people would gather and serve and we'd share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people are changed by that, but that takes money and it takes time. And people are changed in this room because this church over the years got together, put their resources together, and bought some white paper bags, filled them with gospels, filled them with snacks and candy and prayer requests, went door to door and said, hey, is there something we can pray for you about? And a family heard that. They responded. And God used that to, to wake them up to the gospel. And they're in this church because people responded by joining their resources together. We, we know it through Scripture, but we also know it through the practical experience of our own lives. But money is a powerful thing. We, we all know that. But money is a delightful thing. It, it's, a, it's a blessing. The Bible says that money is not evil. What it says in 1, Corinthians, 1 Timothy 6.10, it says, for the, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And we see this played out daily in courts all across this country every single day. That the love of money is what is the root of all evil. Money itself is not evil. Money is a, it's a delight. Money is a gift from God. All, the, all gifts come from God. Money in itself is a, it's, it's a gift. It's a delight. Money allows for opportunity. It's a good thing. Many of us, we all know the benefit of having money so you can do opportunities and experiences you want to experience. This is how God designed it, but it is a powerful thing. But money can also be not just this great blessing that we all experience and know, but it also can be, according to Scripture, it can be a major danger or even a great burden. We've all heard stories of people who've won the lottery, that they got what they wanted, and many of them, many of them, you ask them a year, five years, ten years down the road, and one of the men in our, the country who won the greatest lottery in our nation, when he died, he said, the worst thing that ever happened to me was winning the lottery. Money is a blessing, but it is also a cause for danger. According to Matthew 6, 
it can cause you to forget God. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust destroy. It, it, it can cause you to so depend on money that you don't think you need God. So God's not in your mind. It even says in Proverbs, God, don't give me so much money that I forget you. Money is dangerous in that it can cause us to forget God. And verse 21 says, For where your treasure is, there is your heart also. It's not where your heart is, and then your treasure goes. It's where your treasure is, the Bible says, then your heart goes. Which is a very dangerous thing when you think about it. It's, it's where your money is. That's where your heart is. So think about where your money is, because that's where the Bible says your heart is. And it can cause you, if you're not careful, to forget God. It can cause you also to forget others. It says the eye is the lamp of the body. So if the eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. It's kind of like a window. When, when you're not using your resources that God giving you the way that God wants you to do, it's almost like you're just shutting the blinds in your life. And like we talked about last week, it's about grabbing and not releasing. Because we're all good at grabbing and twisting in on ourselves. But the hard part is to to release, and money, if we're not careful, can cause you to forget others. This is exactly what happened to Ananias and Sapphira in the Bible. They saw what other people were doing, and they forgot about everybody else, and they just thought about themselves, and they thought, what can we do to make ourselves look really good? And it was over money and a sale of a property that they lied to the Holy Spirit, and it cost them their lives. It can cause us to forget others, and it can cause you to also overly focus on yourself. We all struggle with this. Craig Bloomberg, a theologian, said it this way. It is arguable that materialism is the single biggest competitor with authentic Christianity for the hearts and souls of millions in our world today including many in the visible church, Jesus proclaims that unless we are willing to serve him wholeheartedly in every area of our life, but particularly with our material resources, we cannot claim to be serving him at all. It says in verse 24, you cannot serve God and money. And it can be a very dangerous thing. Money can cause us to focus on ourselves. So how do we combat it? How do we, how do we deal with it? The way you deal with it is you consider the generosity of God. Look at Jesus. Look at how generous God was to come. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you don't have a relationship with him, you're like, I'm in church for the first time and they're talking about money. That's exactly what I expected here. God doesn't want your money. God wants you. And he was the one who acted first. He loves you so much that he came to earth, took on the form of Jesus. He, he lived the life that you could not and would not live left to yourself. And he went to the cross and he died for your sins so that you could be forgiven, so that you could have life because God is unbelievably generous. He gave everything. He took all the beatings of the cross. He took all the nails, all the thorns, He's a loving, generous God. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, Jesus doesn't want your money. He wants you. 
He wants you to see him, and he wants you to respond to him, and he wants you to love him as he loves you. But if you're a Christian, and you love Jesus, you say you love Jesus, we still look at a generous God, because Jesus wants to work through you. He wants, to, he, wants you to, he wants to work through you in your life. In Matthew chapter 6, there's three imperatives in the whole section I read at the scripture reading. There's three big imperatives. The big overarching one is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 is all about. Offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable worship as followers of God. It's reasonable to give all of yourself to God because of all the mercies that God has given to us, which is the same thing as saying, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the next imperative is don't lay up treasures in heaven, or lay up treasures in heaven, not on earth, which is an imperative which tells us this is the direction. If you see the mercy of God and you receive the mercy of God, then the direction that mercy of God is supposed to take you is to not lay up stuff on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It's an imperative. It's laying up treasures in heaven. What does that mean? First of all, it's a very positive thing. It's God who's very generous, who could say to us, just do what I say because I tell you to do it. He doesn't say that. He says, love me and serve me. And guess what? As you love and serve me, you're going to be laying up for yourselves treasures on, in heaven. It's a very generous, positive thing. Remember the movie Schindler's List, if you saw it years ago? The story of Schindler who had rescued all these Jews. And towards the end of that movie, he's, he realizes that he could have done more. And he's looking at the ring on his finger. And he's looking at his watch. And he's twisting it. And he's saying to himself, but I, but I could have done more. I could have done more. This would have saved more. God doesn't want us to get to the end of our lives and have to say that. And so he tells us at the beginning, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. I want you to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven because I don't want you to get to the end of your life with all your stuff that it says in Psalm, 140, in Psalm 49 that is not going with you anyway. I don't want you to look at your life and say, I could have done more. It's very positive. He says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven and it's very practical. He's talking about stuff. He's talking about money, possessions, things. Don't lay up for yourselves. Don't gather so much things that are just going to fall apart with rust and destroy. And he's not saying that we're not supposed to enjoy things. This is, we are supposed to enjoy his creation. It's not a sin to have stuff, but it's a sin to have stuff in such a way that you love your stuff more. And you're not generous. You're not accomplishing what God wants you to do with your stuff. It's, it's positive, it's practical, and it's very pointed. Because it says, it, it speaks to our hearts, our stuff. It's to our identity. It goes to the core of who we are. And it's not easy to cover. You think you might fool other people if you're like, I'm not about stuff. But people can see. And deep down, you know if you're about stuff. You, you, you can see it, you feel it, you know 
when the Holy Spirit says, be generous, and you're like, no. I'll do something else. It speaks to the core of who we are. It says, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Randy Alcorn says, my heart always goes where I put God's money. What we do with our money doesn't simply indicate where our hearts are. According to Jesus, it determines where our hearts go. As surely as the compass needle follows north, your heart will follow your treasure. This is a remarkable truth. If I want my heart somewhere, all I need to do is put my money there. It's an amazing thing what we trust our lives to. Are you trusting in the hope of materialism in money? Or are you trusting in the living hope of the marvelous grace of Jesus, whose mercy is more, and they're new every morning? It's an unbelievably steadfast, loving God. It's amazing what we trust our lives to. Here's some questions to ask as you consider maybe your money and your giving. Just ask yourself. Want to know where your heart is? Are you willing to be obedient, to adjust in your giving so the work of God can be accomplished in and through you? Is it your desire to generously meet the financial needs of the church and ministry God has called you to? And is your giving in obedience to the word of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit? These are good questions just to test your heart, to see where your treasure is. It's not really where your treasure is. It's trying to find out where your heart is. But some of you might say, or you just might feel it, and I probably would be too, but I just don't want to. But what if I don't want to? What if I know it's all the right thing to do? But what if I just don't want to? It's hard to give up money. Well, giving will be difficult if you think you did it. Giving will be difficult if you think that you're the one that went to work all week and did all the work, and so the money just is yours. The Bible says everything you have is God's. Your ability to get up to go to work to make the money is from God, and it can be taken away from you just like that. And it'll be difficult for you to give if you think that you can do it. You think, well, now I just, I, 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 don't know, I got all these issues going on in my life over here. And I got all these things I got to try to figure out how I'm going to make it through. I got to make it through 77 years or 85 years. I got to have something at the end. I don't know. I, and you think, I got to make sure that happens. Giving will be hard. But if you believe the God that Scripture says will never leave you nor forsake you, and he knows your need, you can trust him. And then giving will be delightful discipleship if you do it as love for God, which means this. It means it's a process. Being a disciple is a follower of Jesus, which can be a delightful thing. And this morning you're like, oh, I need to really think about this. Where do I begin? It's just beginning by saying yes to God and let the journey 
begin. Let it grow you. Let it become a delightful discipleship thing. And see the stories of many people who have said, this is the way to live. And let me be a part of that. Augustine, the great theologian of the past, had this quote. He would say, love God and do whatever you please. Because the reality is I can stand up and preach as many sermons as I want, but at the end of the day, we all do what we please. And Augustine would say, love God and do whatever you please. And someone paraphrased it this way, love God and do whatever you please for the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. Which is in many ways the same way Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So love God and do whatever you please.